Welcome to the Collective Voice of Health IT, a Weedy podcast. Hi, this is Michael McNutt with Weedy, and this is part two of our stakeholder panel on Tefka, originally a web event that took place in September. We welcome back Hans Bautendijk, Director Interoperability Strategy with Cerner, Tim Pletcher, Executive Director of the Michigan Health Information Network, and Danielle Lloyd, Senior Vice President, Private Market Innovations and Quality Initiatives at AHIP. Danielle, you raise a really, I think, important point specifically for our Weedy audience, uh, given, given our history and orientation. Um, this idea of the privacy and security and the, the challenge, or in some cases, people considered it a threat of giving things over to third-party uh, app developers who were not covered under HIPAA and who were only covered under uh, federal trade um, areas. Um, what is the view? What, what do you, how do you guys view this? Is TEFCA really about covered entities exchange information? Are we able to rely on TPO a lot more and things like that, familiar concepts? Or are we dealing in TEFCA with the same, some of the same issues that and concerns that people have on privacy and security with, uh, with the third party apps and, and the rules? Yeah, I mean, I think, um, you know, when you think about the patient access API as, as an example, right, um, there's not really even an agreement between the third party and the payer. Um, you know, there's uh, maybe maybe they have attested to some, you know, privacy code of conduct or something like that, but there's no way for the payers to constrain in any way um, how that information is used. And once it's outside of HIPAA, right, it can be bought and sold as long as it's somewhere in that 18 pages. Um, and so I do think, um, you know, I, th- I think there is some, you know, in the absence of sort of federal privacy law that extends to those types of entities that are not covered entities, um, you know, if you have these common agreements that gives you a place, right, to have some sort of legal hook, um, on those actors. And I don't, I think when you think of the long-term use cases, we can't just think of this as covered entities, right? Um, it's going to be broader. It needs to be broader, especially if it's going to be patient engagement aspects um, of it, right? And, you know, so I, th- I think this is one of those areas where we really need to be thinking about the um, relationship to state laws where states have more stringent privacy policies and data moving across states with different rules, right? It's not just the feds um, and it's different, right? For part two than it is, you know, for substance use than it is for other uh, type of data, at least for now until new rules come out. Um, so it's it's a, it's a pretty messy area and um, not one that we have hundred percent answers, but uh, you know, we're definitely concerned and think um, there might be a better way to do this. And, and perhaps to, uh, to add to that, um, and looking at one of the questions in the chat there as well, um, there is definitely a clear uh, question on privacy, consent, security of data. Um, it's also very clear from the intent of uh, uh, the variety of uh, acts and privacy rules that the patient, uh, it's their data, they get it, they can do with what, what they want to. So there's a big educational question around that awareness on how do you do that so that there is a, that uh, they can make decisions that they like to do. But, and that line that uh, there has been um, um, uh, that uh, um, um, uh, approach to date, 
uh, that, uh, hey, we have to be very careful where the data goes. At some point in time, it switches into uh, the environment of the patient and they have that right. How do we manage that? So clearly agreed is that there needs to be clarity around that. Um, um, and how can we do that best is that code of conducts. Uh, Karen has established uh, uh, one. Uh, there are other organizations that uh, that may be working on that. There is how do you avoid having 10 pages of agreements that it's hidden away. Um, so there's a lot to be worked out. Um, but uh, in the meantime, there is that transition uh, uh, that we have to manage uh, with that uh, uh, providers and, uh, and, and payers alike uh, are effectively you come with a, and, and I know for sure for the providers, is that you come with an app, you have to be able uh, to have a reasonable uh, opportunity to connect that. So lots to learn, and how can we make sure that everybody is aware of how data is allowed to be used, is not allowed to be used. And I believe that Tefka is going to play a role in that as well, where connections are made, where there are flows that run through Tefka, uh, we'll have to uh, uh, discover and, and, and work together to understand how can that be used uh, to enhance the, uh, the comfort level, the trust, uh, the first tier of it, not only among providers, uh, not only among uh, payers, not only along those already uh, part of HIPAA, but also those that are not part of HIPAA today and that have effectively a very uh, important responsibility to manage data on behalf of their patients. How can that be done in an appropriate way? So I'm hoping that TEFCA will help in that way to, uh, to raise that trust uh, uh, level uh, for everybody, including uh, consumers, so that the questions Danielle raised, which are important and uh, concerning, but that we can tackle that as well. Thanks. Um, so oh, go ahead. Yeah, I'm sorry, Danielle. I, I, I hate to you know interrupt there, but I do I do think you know another example is the payer to payer um, required connection in the interoperability rules. Um, you know that is potentially part of TPO, right? But um, in the same respect, uh, you know we we don't really know where this is going to land because we were expecting sort of a rebooted interoperability and patient authorization rule, but there may still be required consent there. Um, you know, so it's with each of these policies, there's sort of layers and each of the policies to some extent are a little bit different and have to be treated differently within this context. So it just, you know, again, you know, gets more, um, complicated. Uh, but another example of organizations that aren't just apps who might be really beneficial to connect to these are the community-based organizations with which the payers are working in terms of social determinants of health and equity. You know, in, in certain cases, payers now have actual outcomes-based agreements with the community-based organizations to help improve uh, the outcomes of those patients. So they're not, you know, strictly providers in the traditional sense um, but certainly ones that are going to need to know if they're arranging, you know, meals on wheels for you, et cetera, um, whether or not you need a heart healthy diet or a diabetic, you know, related diet or, you know, whatever, you know, just to give, um, you know, some examples. So, you know, there's just, there's so many different things that we still need to think through. So Danielle, I'm really, uh, I'm glad you keep kind of looping back to this idea of examples or use cases, because uh, one of the things that I think we know from Weedy HIPAA didn't try to boil the whole ocean, right? It picked five business processes 
It said, let's solve these, and that'll take away, that'll dial the noise way down. And in order to solve those, it took those, the revenue cycle management processes, broke them down in a highly granular way to specific data elements. I'll call them the, uh, the barter components, right? For, for providers and payers to actually do business, they have to agree on a set of data elements around which they'll build all their policies and contracts and procedures, right? So that is a, an approach for really supply chain integration and automation of business process. So Hans, you had mentioned documents, right? So I'm not sure that the everybody here kind of understands the distinction you're making between this kind of granular data elements on one end and documents on the other. And when I listen to Danielle, when she talks about some of those use cases about meals on wheels, and, and that kind of lends to the idea of a provider exchanging a document, a presentation of the patient, versus automating some of these things that have to happen between payers and providers or payers and other people, which is around automating a business process. Can you guys talk a little about that distinction between documents and data? Sure, but uh, I'm happy to uh, jump in uh, first for a moment. I think there are, there are a couple of key concepts there is that um, you have the individual data, collections of data uh, that are important um, for a particular purpose, be it a workflow, uh, prior authorization, or the management, results reporting, et cetera, that are needed for that. But you uh, kind of, and between quotes a little bit, you just care about the data to manage your process. A document uh, was uh, conceived to be something uh, uh, somewhat different in that it is a snapshot, effectively, of a set of data that is relevant to a particular, to the author of that uh, document uh, at a point in time. So very good examples of documents um, uh, are discharge summaries, referral notes, consult notes, operative notes. They're very clear sets of data in a particular flow, pathology report that they're organized, et cetera. That's really uh, the intent of a document to tie a set of data together for a particular purpose by a particular author. That's the original definition. Then came CCDs, uh, CCDs came around. And that came around and that really blurred the line a bit between those documents and the rest of the data, that it's a great way to, uh, uh, to get a, a variety of data across because the individual transactions, the individual messages were very focused on particular workflow uh, process steps, did not include everything. They only included what was needed for that. And here we had this document construct that I could just toss everything in there. So I think what you're seeing right now is that there's a wide use of CCDs to be able to get that larger data set across. And you still have all those uh, uh, great uh, documents like referral notes, discharge summaries, et cetera. So I think what is happening here, and a and, uh, great point, uh, John, as we're moving forward, is that we need to look at both. We, we have the need for workflow support that at a particular point in time, somebody needs to communicate, adjust the data set to then continue to work somewhere else or inform or otherwise. But I still have this document concept as well, a snapshot in time of that's the data set that's relevant uh, uh, in that context. How do we, and that's just sharing, uh, you, no workflows that are necessarily triggered of that uh, per se. We need to manage both. If you look at TEFCA right now with the QTF, it is very much focused on the document exchange on that sharing of, of snapshots. Um, when you look at the proposal in there uh, about the uh, uh, message delivery, it starts to get into the workflow. 
If you look at uh, uh, um, uh, other scenarios and use cases, as we're going to see them, uh, and fire comes around, or you look at what has been happening for case reporting in public health among some of the networks, you start to see more of that uh, uh, of that workflow in there. If you look at uh, the weedy environment with the transactions, it is all about transactions with media areas uh, that are in there that documents may be supporting. So it is a very amorphous flow. And tapping into one of the questions, the reason why uh, I believe that Tefka is document-centric is that that is a in that environment, uh, uh, a proven technology that they can pro progress, where some of the other ones are either um, uh, still uh, in, uh, in maturation, like uh, uh, fire, or they are already dealt with in other places, that prescriptions, uh, uh, claims, otherwise, there are already places there where that happens uh, uh, at this point. Is that the right place for Tefka to replace what exists or build on what uh, what is there? I, I think, you know, TEFCA is very technology infrastructure. You know, it is very document-centric, just as Han said, and it, it is less focused on sort of solving certain problems or use cases. The, the use cases are sort of very general that, that TEFCA sort of set out to be able to do, you know, enable query-based exchange. Uh, you know, they're, they're very broad kinds of things, and I think... Uh, I think that's fine, but I think what has to happen in order for folks to really, you know, it's a, it's a voluntary infrastructure. So in order for folks to really um, get the value out of this, they're going to have to identify specific value creating use cases that communities of interest can come around, very similar to what the fire accelerator programs have done and target uh, specific activities to, to be able to, you know, show what this looks like end to end. And I, and I think that as long as we don't get lost in some of the legacy pieces that are document centric, I think we'll be just fine. Uh, I think that a lot of people are investing in fire. I think they got very, very invested for the 21st century Cures Act requirements. And now I think they're kind of looking at this space. Maybe they're not very good at handling CCDAs. Maybe they're not very good at the SOAP IEG protocol stack. And they're, they're wondering, do I have to do all that or can I just stick with fire? And I, I think the, the answer is uh, there's going to be a lot of legacy IEG SOAP protocols uh, for how a big chunk of healthcare works. And I, so, so I, I think that everyone should probably lean into fire as much as possible, but that they're going to either need to rely on an intermediary or, or you know, recognize that there's some chunks of, of the healthcare ecosystem that are, are probably not going to be on fire overnight. And, and it's interesting that, that TEFCA as a framework has opportunity to grow and, and cover a number of things. Clearly, document exchange is the, is the first one to get uh, 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 feet on the ground and, and move that forward. But if you look at another example that, uh, that uh, uh, where TEFCA may be borrowing from over time as well, um, uh, it's not only necessary that we need to, I think, and uh, that's going to be feedback to, uh, uh, to ONC as well, don't only think of it as a, tech, uh, uh, a trust framework and a technology uh, framework per se, but at times being a trust framework already can achieve a lot. Uh, that can enable other workflows to start to run under the umbrella. So you're taking, uh, you're increasing the efficiency of connecting uh, the dots. A good example right now, 
um, is that uh, with the um, uh, public health case reporting that was really uh, uh, important for uh, forever uh, uh, under the COVID uh, pandemic, um, effectively the combination of e-health exchange, care quality, Commonwealth, other networks that are in play, it was possible to create a legal framework very akin to the common agreement um, that enabled communication directly with APHL for case uh, reporting. Nothing flows through the physical network, but the trust framework was there. And that allows uh, uh, speeding up some of those connections. So I think, yes, it is today focused on document exchange in a brokered fashion, but that need not mean that TEFCA, as it takes on new use cases and fire and otherwise, that everything is only about document exchange or that we could not have unbrokered or that we could not have other uh, technologies uh, in, the, in the submission of case reports. It's a combination of either direct or XDR uh, using a CDA-based document uh, that is submitted. Uh, there, um, and that's the, that's the technology that is, uh, that is uh, uh, capable, but it just goes directly, lowercase directly, uh, to APHL, not through a broker. Yeah, I think Oh, I think Hans, Hans is really important and that people are modeling QHINs after what they see with eHealth Exchange. And TEFCA framework is set up to contemplate uh, very different models than we see with, with Commonwealth and, and eHealth Exchange and Care Quality. So I think it's entirely feasible that you'll see um, brand new services uh, show up as QHINs and operate, you know, TEFCA Tef as a framework is designed to be able to accommodate those new models and those sources of innovation under the RCE in a way that I think could, could produce very unforeseen and very scalable opportunities to do more, um, to potentially differentiate from what we're all thinking. Uh, so, I mean, I, I, I think the TEFCA framework itself is incredibly powerful for being able to do more things. And I think Hans said it really well. It is a trust framework. Uh, a couple of the questions have gone by and say, well, what's the enforcement framework of that trust? And I, I do think that experience will tell us uh, how, how to go about doing some of that better because um, there are some unanswered questions there. But um, for, for right now, I, I think it is a really good mechanism for us to sort of bootstrap, you know, that, those first stages of data liquidity and begin to solve some of these use cases. So, so Danielle, listen, go ahead. I'm sorry, if you have a comment. Yeah, I was go gonna ahead. say, I, I might just try to put that in a little bit simpler terms and then Hans and Tim can um, uh, you know, correct me because I, I, I suspect that not all of our audience is you know, uh, quickly facile with CDA and uh, X, you know, XDCR or whatever it was, right? The reliable exchange. With, uh, um, you know, I think, I think of this as more of individual elements that are standardized or collections of elements that are standardized and not to be confused with the notion of sort of a structured and unstructured document, right? Of, um, you know, we've had problems in the interoperability rules as an example of what to do with, you know, 500 page PDFs. If there's one element of the USCDI in there, do we have to figure out how to get, get through there and pull out that one standard piece of information. And, you know, CMS has said no, right? So th there are absolutely challenges for the structured, unstructured data. And at some point, maybe we'll have natural language processing and be able to pull things out of that. But it's 
it's really more about sort of um, packages of elements. So, I, you know, I think of a, a quality measure as an example. There's a discrete quality measure. There's discrete information that it needs for the numerator and denominator. And it's a package of information that that the a payer is asking for the provider, right? Um, in, in that uh, respect of a, a document, if you will. So thank you. There's a couple of questions in here. Getting to the point that you touched on, Tim, is kind of Tefka versus Fire, Fast versus Tefka kind of thing. Um, you know, I'm hearing this kind of data versus documents approach. Uh, how how do you advise people to look at this? And I think, Danielle, you've got, what, at least a couple of hundred payer constituents out there that, and I know my own personal work, I work with a lot of them trying to, you know, deliver technology to help them support uh, patient data exchange. Uh, they're all over the place uh, in terms of sophistication. Um, so what... What should people be thinking of? I, I'm kind of hearing that it depends on where you are and what you want to accomplish, how much of your bet you're putting on Tefka and how much of your bet you're putting on FAST. Can, can you talk a little bit about advice you might give people in that situation, making decisions about you know, staging things? Yeah, I, I can. I, I think you know, from the payer state stakeholder the, the sort of non-provider organization specific space i think you're going to keep following the rules right i think 21st century cures act rules um you know think things that they're put in place to comply with the rules are going to drive you towards fire and they're going to drive you towards use cases um, that solve problems and so whether it's gravity or karen or da vinci you know that's where that space is going to go to solve and, and continue to simplify administration. As a source of clinical data from traditional document-centric spaces, I think the first pieces for Tefka are going to be coming from, from those avenues. Where I think what will happen is, you know, the, the, the good thing about the U.S. is there's lots of innovation. I think, I think the RCE will be challenged from the sort of narrow framework of care equality and commonwealth and e-health exchange is the list of QNs to basically folks who can meet those requirements, but who are there with very different business models. And I think those business models will be focused on creating value in different spaces. And I think that, um, you know, because because one of the Tefka tenants was really to embrace market and market competition. And I, and I think that you saw, even if you've listened to, to Mickey speak at different times, he wants to, to leave a lot of things to the market or encourage the market to come forward with solutions. So I, I think folks need to stay focused on doing those things and participating in those things that create value for their organization. I think that's why it's voluntary. Um, but I think as you find those communities of interest and you, you get these clusters of value, which are going to be more use case centric and less data centric, I think you'll see momentum begin to pick up in those places. And then I, I think you'll see more rules come and that'll probably have more teeth because you'll see ONC doing a piece. And then I think you'll probably also see CMS kick in. And when CMS kicks in and ties money to functionality, then you know, the world moves along in, in faster increments. Um, so that, that's what I say is to stay focused on the value, comply with the things you must do, 
and and then sort of force folks to sort of clusters of, of value. And uh, to the degree that you like what's going on, roll up your sleeves and jump in because this will be a national community effort to, to sort of you know solve for some of these problems. And and in that in that progression that Tim outlines is that um, um, having a focus and a look at fire how it is evolving it has the opportunity uh, to get uh, for a, a variety of use cases the right data set be it in document format be it the document reference be it a, a set of data it has the ability to uh, uh, to move that direction but it has still some maturation to go so um, uh, when the questions are we have why are things documented etc uh, there is opportunity in a variety of different contexts to work on uh, uh, the uh, uh, using the fire Lego blocks, if you will, uh, to pull things together as they fit the use case at hand and still have a very consistent data expression. One of the other questions, how can we standardize across the board? Things expressed in CDA don't quite look the same as in version two, don't quite look the same as in NCPDP, et cetera. It actually has the opportunity that for all those variety of uh, of use cases to uh, begin to arrive at a common uh, expression of the data and therefore build in that level of consistency uh, that we need to make it predictable, transparent, uh, usable, uh, plug and play, uh, all those kind of things. But it is a roadmap. It's a process. It's not all day one. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I would just reiterate one thing, right, in terms of, um, you know, the requirements, right, again, the federal programs from a payer perspective have a different set of requirements than the commercial do, and the payers in general don't uh, believe that they are subject to ONC, Cures Act, information blocking rules, unless they fit the definition of a HIN. Um, and, you know, most of them estimate that they, you know, don't fall under that definition as it's um, currently written from the CMS side and the payer side. Um, you know, they they put in a proposal uh, for TEFCA to be required. They took it out, I think, largely because we just weren't there yet. Um, maybe that'll come back. But um, I think, you know, as an industry, we're sort of hopeful that, you know, as Mickey put it, that there'll be... Um, enough uh, buy-in voluntarily without federal sticks, uh, you know, because the payers see the value of it, right? Um, and the proof's in the pudding there. We don't know yet. Um, and certainly, you know, compliance and governance issues are um, a real question right now of whether or not it's worth it for a payer to participate um, in terms of the benefits outweighing the risks in terms of the compliance that, you know, are not so clear yet. And I think we can all agree to the fact that this is not going to go seamlessly. <laughs> there will be hurdles along the way. Um, so I do think one thing we need to be thinking about collectively is, you know, this notion of kind of a good, you know, good faith efforts and transition plans, Um and, you know, the FAQ process and, and that sort of thing, because, you know, the, it, it's not going to be perfect um, right off the bat. And I think if the payers feel comfortable with, you know, those aspects of the rules of the road, then and, and see the value that they'll, they'll come in and hopefully without the regulatory sticks. But I do I do think that, um, you know, we talked about sort of prior off, maybe medium term partially because, you know, there's, again, this reboot rule where we're not really quite sure 
what some of the policies are going to be there yet. And we have a standards attachment uh, rule theoretically, uh, you know, on the the quarterly review list, but who knows, like it could be been waiting for Godot so far. Right. Um, So there's a lot of questions there. I think we placed some of the quality stuff in a little bit longer term, but I think the, the sort of fast value to some extent is going to be replacing some of the, um, you know, areas where a plan would have requested and paid for a version of a, of a chart, right? Um, and that's part of where I think, you know, the looking through for um, information to justify risk adjustment and, um, you know, other information is going to be valuable to the plans. So, um, again, there's a lot to, to be seen. Thank you. So we have just a couple of minutes left. I'm wondering any last thoughts since we're in a comment period and the people in the audience are going to be starting to wonder about, oh, my God, another thing to think about over Labor Day. Um, any last thoughts on what the folks in the audience should be asking themselves or others? I'll, I'll go first and wrap up. Um, Tefka is good. It, it, it is a step in the right direction. Um, we need to we need to encourage it to land into the right place. The, the second thing, and I saw quickly pass through, it's absolutely correct. Fire and Tefka are not at all incompatible. We didn't want to say that. Um, but what we did want to say is a lot of folks have not invested in some of the uh, initial technology base that Tefka is sort of promoting as part of its framework, and they have invested in fire. And, and so, you know, what we, what we really wanted to do was set expectations that, um, you know, could you stay on this fire path? Because there's a lot of learning. Um, the, the act of being part of RESTful APIs is very enabling from a technology infrastructure perspective. You know, could people stay in that world uh, and control their own destiny? And I, I think the, the key thing is possibly not. You, you may have to sort of back up to catch up with some of that document pieces if there's particular components of value there. Um, but uh, do not take your, you know, take your foot off the gas pedal on any of the fire stuff because the consumer component and the sort of better access to the information that's more granular um, is, is definitely clearly where um, most of us are placing our bets. I'd say is that uh, that uh, um, the purpose, the goal of Tefka is where we want to be, where we have a consistent trust framework and a consistent uh, uh, minimum uh, uh, predictable set of technologies to access exchange data growing over time from not only uh, document sharing, but other ones as well. And uh, it is going to be important that as it uh, evolves that uh, it uh, it builds on uh, capabilities that uh, uh, that we have a good experience with and that need that extra uh, uh, nudge to get uh, uh, wider acceptance. And it also needs to have the opportunity to find new ways and better ways to uh, access and exchange data and enable that as well. Uh, while at the same point in time as it emerges that uh, the community that operates in part in Tefka and in part in existing uh, uh, capabilities, how does that all work together? So it has a couple of uh, uh, challenges ahead of it, uh, but uh, um, I, I'd suggest to focus on what are the basic core principles that it's trying to uh, achieve and how can we move those forward using Tefka and, and its uh, complementary uh, 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 capabilities that we have out there uh, to build that trust, to build that common technology platform 
as a starting point, not as a, a, a ceiling, but as a floor where we can uh, progress and, uh, and, uh, and mature and evolve. That's how I would look at, uh, at TEFCA. Yeah, I mean, I, I would say, you know, fast and fire are enablers of a successful TEFCA, right? Um, they're components. Um, and I, I, I would say, you know, one thing is we really need additional um, payer and other um, participants uh, to really engage in the FAST work um, and the Da Vinci work or Argonaut, depending, you know, on who you are. Um, because the more that we get worked out there, I think, again, the more value there's going to be and the, and the, the more um, successful we're going to be within the TEFCA con construct. But I do... I do also want to say, you know, most of the people on here are probably generally familiar with TEFCA already. I think we need, you know, sort of now is the time to start sharing some of these materials with, you know, more of the technical team, with your policy teams, with your legal counsels, like distributed out, you know, broader in your organizations, because it really uh, has sort of um, cross uh, subject matter expert implications, right? Um, to to deciding, you know, when and how uh, to join and how to, you know, uh, implement this um, well. There's, you know, great information on the ONC website and Sequoia Project obviously has um, information up there and lots more coming imminently. Um, but by the time you, you know, want to comment more on, you know, common agreement and such, you don't, you don't want to go to the legal counsel to review the common agreement and they don't even know what TEFCA is, right? So um, I think some of it is getting that uh, homework done so that we can really hit the ground running with all of this. This has been the Collective Voice of Health IT, a weedy podcast, where the health information technology community connects, collaborates, and creates solutions for a better health system. Find this episode and many more on our website, weedy.org. Thank you all for joining us, and be safe.